Well, it's so good to see you here this morning. I want to invite you right now, if you would take your Bibles and turn not to Psalm 139. Let's go to Hebrews 12 this morning. A little fake out. I know some of you are expecting Psalm 139 this morning. We have enjoyed walking through this text of scriptures, um, but I'll, I'll kind of recall some of the things we talked about in this study that in Psalm 139, these four segments of Psalm 139, the last one is David's resolve. It's like the so what question. David, so what? So I don't know if you caught this, but every single week we would go through the first segment or the second segment or the third segment and then right away close out our time in the fourth segment as the so what section. So as you think of that, please continue to especially meditate on Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, where David cries out to God, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any devious, wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So I hope that text is still fresh in your mind. Today we're going to Hebrews 12. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I am so excited about our studies the next three months. We're going to take the next three months, and I know summers are tough because people are here and gone. I mean, this, this whole COVID thing, uh, we don't know who's going to be here from one week to another, but what we're going to do is this. We're going to take the next three months and go through the scriptures, sort of a biblical theology, and just taking snapshots of different portrayals of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to start that today. We're going to take three months and just worship God because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The passage we're going to look at today is so beautiful because here's what the author of Hebrews says. Amid all of this struggle around us, what are we to do? Very clearly, you can see this in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus. So brothers and sisters in Christ, that's, that's what we're going to do. I mean, every sermon that ever comes from this pulpit should look to Jesus. But what we're going to do is specifically highlight passages that give us a beautiful picture of who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. We're going to take the next 15 weeks plus, just highlight different passages through the scriptures on that. Before we even jump into Hebrews 12, though, I just want to say this again. Welcome. You could be doing a number of different things on this Sunday morning at 10.15, now 10.40. You can do a number of different things. But by God's grace, you are here studying the Word of God together, worshiping. And I want to say, I pray your heart is blessed today. If you're visiting with us, or if you just started coming, or if you're uh, maybe just traveling through the area, or even if you're a regular attender, please know, every single one of you here today, that we are thrilled that you're here for study. We love seeing you here. I, I, I'm stuck because I, my normal greeting routine and, and farewell routine is completely messed up. I love saying goodbye, standing out there, and catching as many of you as I can as you're leaving on Sunday morning and just say goodbye, know you're loved, goodbye, know you're loved. And I'm stuck. I'm kind of relegated to this penalty box up here. But nonetheless, please know you're loved. Parents. We're in kind of this awkward time without our, our CPK, our nursery going. I want to say two things. First of all, thank you for your effort. And second of all, great job. <laughs> Good job getting your kids here. Good job keeping them here. Uh, please know this. In no way do these children intimidate us. 
Please understand that. They are not in any way a burden to us. Even the ones that tend to get a little more exercised and run around the auditorium, hey, that's okay. We love that. In my mind, I often go to the early church. I think of the church at Corinth or, or maybe the church in Ephesus. And they're gathering around, maybe in a courtyard or, or an area of, of regular worship. They didn't just kick the kids out of the house. No, there were times when they worshipped. There were times when kids got exercised. There were times when parents probably had to say, hey, not right here, right now. It's okay. We love that noise in here. If they do get too exercised, there is a cry room up there for your benefit if you like that. But please, moms especially, I know you take the burden here. It's okay to hear what we just heard, a little kid talking. That's okay. Moms, don't take that as a burden on you this morning. We love seeing your whole family here. All right. Let's get into this text today, but we're going to jump into this text with a bit of an illustration, as we try to do often. Uh, how many of you know, uh, no need to, you know, to spread it out here, but how many of you know what Polaris is? All right, we're not talking about the recreational vehicles, obviously, because I got a picture of a star up here. Uh, awesome recreational vehicles, you know, in land, water, or where we came from, snow. They're great. That's not what we're talking about this morning. What about Polaris? What we're talking about this morning is this beautiful star that sits right above the North Pole. You ever heard of this? Sometimes called the Pole Star. Why? I mean, this is beautiful. Because this really, in the northern hemisphere, is the most consistent star for navigation. Um, I, I love this because, uh, and please don't take me wrong, I do not really know the stars very well. <laughs> I love looking at stars. I love studying them. But for me, I love this star because it's easy to find. I can go to the Big Dipper and off to the right just a bit. You can find this star up there. I mean, it, I brought it up here a little bit. You can kind of see it there. What is this Polaris, brothers and sisters? It's the North Star. You ever heard of the North Star? I love this North Star for many reasons. Did you realize that this North Star is actually three stars that appear to one? I'm not going to try to make a big case on this today. Three stars together, if you dial in on this, you see three separate stars that make up one bright star. This star, I love it, it can be found if you go to the handle of the Little Dipper up there, Ursa Minor, or if you go off the ladle of the Big Dipper, this is what I find, right straight, almost straight off, just a little bit of a trajectory, you find the North Star. I love looking at the North Star because uh, God wakes me up, I'm going to tell you, my favorite prayer time is probably in the morning between 2 and 3 a.m. I sleep for a couple hours, and then God wakes me up, and my mind is just racing. I'm going to tell you where I find myself almost every single night. It's on the back porch praying. Sometimes I'll pace. Sometimes I'll sit there, and my dog's looking at me like, what are you doing? Dude, you're supposed to be sleeping, and I'll be praying. And I look at the stars, and I think the heavens declare the glory of God. I'm going to tell you, almost every night, what does my, my mind go to? It goes to this one, the North Star. I love the story of the North Star um, for so many reasons, but basically this. Why? Because of its consistency. You ever studied the North Star? Oh, there it is again. You can kind of see where it's headed. Look at this. 
If you take the North Star and do just a simple time lapse around the North Star in the Northern Hemisphere, this is what you would see. What is at the center of all of this moving around? It is the pole star. It is the North Star at the North Pole. This star has been the consistent device for navigations for thousands of years. Where we sit on our earth and where that star is, it it appears like all of life, all of life in the skies is rotating around the North Star. It's consistent. Here's another picture. I love these time lapses. Right at the center is this North Star. Okay, why in the world do I bring this up? On this, this star that has been such a blessing in navigation for hundreds, thousands of years. We're talking thousands of years. Why do I bring that up? Well, we're going to make a simple connection through this study that we are on a spiritual journey. And here's the question today. What is the North Star of your spiritual journey? Where do you look constantly? Through the storms of life, through when it seems like you're in that snow globe and you don't know where it's going to land, where do you look? Where do you constantly look to reorient your position? Where do you constantly fix your eyes to figure out where you're at in this world? I'm going to tell you, that's why we're studying this passage today, Hebrews 12. Would you look at verse 2 again? And would you read with me the first three letters, or first three words of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? Here they are. Looking to Jesus. Let's read those together. Looking to Jesus. Let's try that one more time, class. Looking to Jesus. In the mess of the life we live in right now, where do we look? Well, the author of Hebrews clearly tells us where to look. We are to look to Jesus. So over the next three months, specifically today in Hebrews 12, but over the next three months, we are going to attempt to reorient our lives to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I mean, you think about the mess we live in. I mean, you watch the news. We're talking about global pandemic. We're talking about riots. We're talking about, even yesterday, some local atrocities. Our brother RG going through something down at the Walmart distribution center with those shootings. He was present there. We think about the mess of life that's happening right now. What do we do? Our hearts are disquieted within us. I was talking to my daughter about that psalm yesterday. Oh God, my heart is disquieted within me. My soul is on fire. My heart is anxious. But what do we do? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we look to Jesus. The north star of our spiritual journey is who? Is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this passage today, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I love this journey mentality. It's all the way through the scriptures. You you find this concept of journey, this metaphor. But in this particular passage, this journey is described, and you know it. This is a very familiar text of scriptures, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is described as a what? A race. 
It's not a sprint, though. It's an endurance race. So let us look at this endurance race. Would you follow along as I read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll kind of dive into this today as we set up for the rest of our study uh, through the summer. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside also every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He is set it, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, so from this awesome passage today, we're going to jump right on into this. Uh, from that handout, you see this key idea. This is the key idea we're going to look at today. kind of takes all of the different sections of these two verses and summarizes it down to one sentence. If you were to do that, it would have to be something like this, possibly. As our faith is tested, as definitely in the context here, especially if you look at Hebrews 11. As our faith is tested, we must advance. We don't sit still. We don't sit with our you know, backsides on the couch and wait for everything to settle down in the snow globe. What do we do according to this text? We take another step, and another step, and another step. We journey forward. We advance. We advance with endurance. And as we do all of this, it is with the realization that we cannot do it on our own. We have to fix our eyes, as Paul says in Philippians, on the prize. Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. All right, so what about this Hebrews? Let's just briefly talk about this Hebrews. I never want to just jump into a verse and just pretend that, you know, we all understand where we're at in the context. Uh, honestly, in Bible study, sometimes I spend more time thinking and praying and studying through the situation that's ha at hand, it's known as the context, than actual passage sometimes. So I can understand the setting. Okay, so what is Hebrews? What is this book Hebrews? Well, clearly as you open your Bibles, it's in the Old or New Testament. It's in the New Testament. However, if you look at Hebrews and you read through it carefully and you see the cross-references, you're going to find a book that is constantly referencing the Old Testament. You ever notice that as you read through the book of Hebrews? I talked to a brother just a minute ago who said who said they read through Hebrews this week. That's beautiful. Because as you go through Hebrews, you're going to find Old Testament reference after Old Testament reference after Old Testament reference. Why is that? Now here's why it is, because we need to understand who the original audience was. Yes, the broader audience is ourselves at Cross Point Community Church here today. But who's the original audience of this letter? Who was it written to? Well, it's in the title. <laughs> Hebrews. All right, These are Jewish people in the first century, and here's the type of Jewish people that you're going to find this written to. These Jewish people are people that heard or saw Jesus Christ himself. And now they're trying to figure out, I mean, they're on either side of salvation here. This is very important that we understand this as we go through Hebrews. Some of these Jewish people, I think primarily who the warning text of Hebrews is written to, are looking at Jesus, they've experienced partial, partially an understanding of Jesus, but they have not embraced by faith the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
They're watching. Is this Jesus worth it? On the other hand, you have a group of people, Jewish believers, who have truly believed in Jesus Christ. They place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His, his work on the cross, His dynamic resurrection. They're looking at this Christ. They see the atrocities of the life around them and their faith is tested. And they're looking at this Christ thinking, is He worthy for my every day of my life? Amen. Is He worthy to make decisions of submission every day of my life? So on either side of salvation, you have a group of people that are looking at Christ saying, is that Christ worth it? Is that Jesus worth it? Um, I'm going to say that's, that's not unlike the community and culture we live in today. Even within our congregation here at Cross Point Community Church. I'm going to tell you, young ones here, we hear you. You look at the life around you, and quite honestly, you hear of a broken world that you live in, and you're like, well, it's not so bad. You haven't fully tasted of the atrocities of the, the, of the garden, the depraved nature of the garden yet, but then you watch the news potential with your parents, you look over them, and you say, what's happening? There's some young ones here today that are thinking, is this Jesus worth it? Is this Jesus worth following for the rest of my life? There's others of us on the other side of this who if we're truly honest with our thoughts, we're looking back at salvation and we're thinking, okay, God, what's happening here? Through the uncertainty and the doubts, we're looking back and we're thinking, God, what is going on? We read in the scripture very clearly, and you cannot erase this out of the text, that there's a sovereign God who is working his plan. You cannot take that out of the text. You don't have enough whiteout to take it out of the text because it's all the way through the scriptures. So I'm going to trust that. Nonetheless, my faith is constantly under question and under fire. How do we handle that? Well, I think that's what's the beauty of Hebrews. We don't know exactly who the author is other than we know it's the Holy Spirit God. We don't know exactly who the human author is. It was very likely either Paul or a close associate of Paul. I think just a, we had a talk about this in our Wednesday study. I think it's a very good chance it possibly could be an associate of Paul named Apollos. Just look at his background. Look at his expertise in the Old Testament. Look at the way that he, through Aquila and Priscilla, were walked through the Old Testament text of scriptures. I almost think this text really is like a handbook of theology given to Apollos from Aquila and Priscilla and Paul. Nonetheless, whoever it was, I think Paul's theology comes out clearly in this text. This is a book that is consumed with this theme. Here's the theme of the book. I'm going to dial it in today. Hey, Jesus is better. He's better. I mean, if you think about just a simple flow through the book of Hebrews, and I hope you can track with me on this. I'm just going to highlight a couple of these. I mean, if you go to the first part of Hebrews, Jesus has a better name. Okay, who are these creations of God that have a, a massive pull on the way that God worked in the Old Testament? We're talking about angels. The author of Hebrews, in verse 4 of chapter 1, says Jesus is better than angels. Amen. Okay, who is the central focus of the Torah, the author of the Torah? The one God used to dynamically lead his people. 
It was Moses. Well, you know what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 3? Jesus is better than Moses. All right, who is the primary person in the worship in the temple who once a year would bring up these sacrifices for atonement? Everything was pretty much on the shoulders of this man doing it right. The high priest. Do you know what the author of Hebrews says? You write down Hebrews 5, 4 or Hebrews 7 and 1 through 11. Jesus is a better high priest. I mean, if you think about this, what about this hope that the people in the Old Testament had? They had a hope of a land. They had hope of seed. They had hope that through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. Jesus is a a direct fulfillment of that. In fact, as you go through here, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus provides a better hope. I mean, continue on through the text in Hebrews, Jesus provides a better covenant. Jesus is a better sacrifice. We have the sacrifice of these lambs, these goats, Guess what? Jesus Christ is the eternal sacrifice. Jesus is flat out better. That's the text of Hebrews. The point of Hebrews, Jesus is greater. So because Jesus is greater, don't ever stop looking at him. Look to him and look to him and look to him and never take your eyes off Jesus. That's Hebrews. Don't be consumed with looking at formalized religion because this, if you're consumed with looking at structured, formalized religion, guess what it's going to do? It's going to derail you from Jesus. Don't be consumed by looking at popular figures in theology. Look to Jesus. Don't be consumed by looking at educated teachers who throw around their education. No, look to Jesus. Don't be consumed with looking at political leaders. Look to the author and finisher of your faith, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, that is the 30,000 foot view of the text. Can we just maybe narrow it down to like a 5,000 foot view of the text? And I want us to do this. I don't often do this, but when you're thinking through a text, this is kind of like a class today. Uh, you want to figure out what the primary exhortation in a text is. And then you want to find out what the supporting phrases are so you can really understand what the author's saying. In these two verses, I think it's very clear. And I put it here. Would you look with me at the end of verse 1? There is this dynamic phrase. This is the primary verb in the text. All right? I don't, this would interest some of you more than others, so, but I, I want to bring this out because really it gets down to where we're at in this text. The author says this, let us run with endurance. This primary verb, well, for those who like Greek grammar and syntax, it's known as the hortatory subjunction. This is the exhortation of the text, the primary one. So when we look at this text, here is the theme, run with endurance. But the beauty of the text is there's different motivations that are packed around this primary theme. What are the motivations? What's the first one, the supporting phrase? Therefore, since we are surrounded. Hey, look around you. Hey, look at the text of Scripture. What's another motivation? Lay aside, or here's the means almost. Lay aside every weight. And then this entire two verses is funneling us down to the primary motivation, and here it is in verse 2. Look to Jesus. 
So what we're going to do today is unpack that starting with the primary verb. All right, the primary verb is let us run with endurance. Let's just unpack that. What does he say? Therefore, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And here it is. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Clearly, the Christian journey, your story, is seen here in a metaphoric sense as a race. Yo, Pastor Andrew, I didn't sign up for no race. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking that right now. I did not sign up for a race when I came to Jesus. Well, whether you know it or not, you did. You are a racer. You are on a spiritual race. If you don't like the concept of spiritual race, then think of it in terms of a spiritual journey. If you struggle with the concept of a spiritual journey, think of it in terms of a spiritual story. You are in a story right now. This race, if you're thinking, what is this race? Let's start with that. It is your spiritual journey from salvation to heaven. Okay, heaven is used in a very loose sense here. In other words, it is the presence of Jesus leading us to the new heavens and the new earth. Nonetheless, when we think about this race, we're talking about starting when you come to Jesus and salvation, and it leads us all the way to what's known as glorification, when we see Jesus face to face. Anywhere in between is what's known as the race, the journey. So if you have come to Christ by faith, you are on a race. Theological terms, it uses the terms justification, being declared righteous, all the way to, and sanctification to, glorification. This is when we, as some of us who have those pains and arthritis and maybe can't think as straight as we used to think, can't see as clear as we used to think, uh, see, this is where that will be set right, when Jesus will fix all of that. That's glorification. Nonetheless, this race is the point between A and B. When we are traveling through this life dependent on Jesus Christ, for you, it's your spiritual story being lived out right now. Right now. And guess what? This is the beauty of it. All of us are in different segments of this race. Yes, we encourage each other, but some of you in this room, you're just getting started on this race because you have newly come to Jesus by faith. There might be some young ones in this room, and you're just soaking it in. You're like, yes, I love hearing about this Jesus. You are just getting into your race. There's others who have been Jesus followers, maybe pushing 50, 60 years now. But guess what? You're still growing. You're still learning today. We're all in this together. We're all on this race together. It's an individual race, but we're looking around, and everyone in this room is on the race, the spiritual journey. He calls it a race. But this is, this is where this race takes a really cool turn. This is not a sprint race. This is a race for endurance. What am I talking about? This is a race to advance in the face of difficulty. This takes patience, fortitude, steadfastness. Here's a word. It takes perseverance. Persevering through trials. 
persevering through anxieties and struggles in life, through doubts. All right. So very quickly, we understand that this metaphor is talking about a long-distance race, not a short sprint. And in this, let's make it very practical. All right, so on this journey from salvation to the end, if you're in Christ, you're on this journey, on this race, have you ever sat down, watched the news, heard a report, read an article, and have you ever doubted whether all this Christianity stuff's worth it? We can be honest. We can dig deep into this question. The Holy Spirit of God is is walking us through the scriptures, confirming in our hearts that we are children of God. But naturally, as we look around us, there's these doubts that come sometimes. Have you ever been there? Okay, that question that you have right now is a test of your endurance for Jesus Christ. Have you ever seriously doubted whether living for Christ, battling the flesh, enduring with kindness, reacting with patience is really worth it when it seems like everything around you is falling apart? Guess what? Your endurance is being tested on this race. The last couple months, we've experienced so many opportunities to doubt. Are you with me on this? So many opportunities to look at God's plan and say, God, what are you doing? Brothers and sisters in Christ at Cross Point, we are in this race of endurance. Our resolve is daily being tested. And so as we go through this text, we think, okay, I understand it. I'm on this marathon and I see a hill in front of me and I've got to get to the top of that before I can go back down. That does not look fun. The same way we look around us, we read news reports and we hear of atrocities with riots and we hear of, okay, another flare-up of a global pandemic and we hear of medical supplies being depleted. We look at all of this stuff happening and we see this hill and we think, that is not going to be fun. Well, that's the beauty of this passage because the author of Hebrews says, endure in this race, but he doesn't leave us hanging. He leaves us with with more information. And what is the more information? As we're traveling up this hill in this endurance one, what should we do? Well, here's what we should do. Very clearly at the beginning, we should find special motivation from those who have already traveled this journey. Those who've already finished the race. How does David, uh, sorry, the psalmist, not even the psalmist. How does the author of Hebrews say it? Did you look at me in the text? He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What is this cloud of witnesses? A lot of different ideas on this, but I think it's very clearly stated in the previous chapter. Okay, he gets through chapter 11 and he talks about by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Sarah, by faith Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. He talks about this faith of these people who have already taken their journey, looking to the prize. I mean, in fact, you know, I'm going to go ahead and read it. I, I, sometimes I shy away from reading texts because we try to um, get through the sermon, but If you go over to chapter 11, would you look at verse 32 with me? Just go back to chapter 11, because this sets up the cloud of witnesses. These are no lightweights. These are not people that shy when tragedy comes. Listen to these people mentioned in verses 32 to 38. The author says this, 
What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Woman, or women received back their dead by resurrection. Two instances in First and Second Kings of that. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Here's another one. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And here's what the author says, and I absolutely love this. Of whom the world was not worthy. Okay, if you're wondering what this cloud of witnesses is, this is no lightweights. These are people that endured this race. I think we find them in chapter 11. What's the point? As you endure your race, as you get out of bed in the morning, all the pains, all the questions, as you, for whatever way you do this, maybe you find information through a blog or through a news report, you're trying to... Sort this through the grid of the scriptures as you read your Bible in the morning and you look at your day and think, how in the world am I going to get through this next day? Children, teens, you look at a device and you think, how in the world am I going to battle the flesh today? How in the world am I going to navigate around the depravity of this world? How in the world am I going to race this race with endurance? The author says, don't forget You're not the only one in this race. People have already gone before you in this race. Let's move on. Not only by finding motivation with faithful worshipers, this cloud of witnesses, but by casting off hindrances. On this race, we are to cast off hindrances. And again, this is a very familiar text of Scripture. Nonetheless, it's good for us to remind ourselves often of this. What does the author say here? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Wow. On this race, we are to lay aside every weight. What is that? Just as a runner strips off all unnecessary weight to run efficiently. I remember... I'm not a long-distance runner guy. If there's not a ball involved, I do not want to run. I force myself to run a couple miles, and that's about it. I remember in high school, uh, I had a soccer coach that made us run what was called the Cooper Test. and You had to do your two miles in 12 minutes. And you had to show up every morning of these tryouts at 6 o'clock in the morning. I hated waking up for that. And you had to get right on the track, and you had to run your two miles in 12 minutes, or you had to come the next day and do it again until you finally got it. That was motivation enough for me to run if all I had the first day. Did not want to get up at six o'clock the next day and run again. So I'm running, and I did not wear my sweatsuit. I didn't wear a belt or anything. I'm I'm down to my shorts, t-shirts, and running shoes. I'm getting there. Some of you have been in that situation. 
You're not wearing your Carhartt jacket and overalls and your steel-toed boots on this race. No, you're getting there. Laying aside these weights. It's exactly what the author says here. Lay aside. It means to take off, to rid yourself of. This exact same word is used in a different text for cast it off. Get it away from you. Cast off every weight. What is this weight? Well, I think in this context, it's very possibly speaking directly of uh, and to legalistic religious practices that distract us and limit us from a pure pursuit of Jesus Christ. That's hard to wrap our minds around. But practically, these are unnecessary persuasions and passions in our lives that confuse, here it is, confuse our true identity in Christ and distract us from our true mission in Christ. Things that distract us from doing what we were called to do as followers of Jesus. Distract us from realizing who we really are in Christ. Distract us from seeing the clear mission of being in Christ. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Wow. Some of your translations will say the sin that ensnares you so quickly. Uh, We have a dog, a yellow lab. At certain times of the year, if I'm wearing a darker outfit and I go, he's very affectionate, always rubbing up against you. I'm always petting him. I get ready to come into the church or something, I'm wearing a darker shirt or darker pants, and I say hi to him and I, you know, pet him and stuff like that. I get in the car and I am covered. You ever, maybe you've been like that with your dog. Covered with hair. You ever tried to get that stuff off before a meeting? You're all over the place. And it doesn't even seem, it's like, seem like you touched it. Okay, that's a ridiculous illustration of something that clings to you. But it doesn't come close to an understanding of how devious and destruction, destructing sin is. That ups the whole equation here. This sin which so easily ensnares us like a trap that grabs us. And the author here is saying, as you're on this race, watch out, beware, because there's sin that's going to entrap you. Honestly, I can't think of a better time period in history to receive this text than right now. We're talking about sexual gratification outside God's boundaries in the scriptures. We're talking about a preoccupation with possessions and popularity and self-promotion. Lay that aside. It will ensnare us. We're talking about preferential treatment within a race of people all made in the image of God. We're talking about an absolute disregard for the concept of biblical authority. Sins that grab us so easily. We're talking about unbridled tongues consumed with slander and deceit. Sins that so easily ensnare us. We're talking about an arrogant neglect of grace and kindness and love. This pastor says these sins cling so easily to us. The author here says lay those aside on your race of endurance. Don't embrace these sins of this world. We are so, I mean, let's just think of where we're at. Honestly, we have five children, Hannah and I. This morning, as I was up, 
my heart was so burdened for the world my kids are growing up in. Almost every single day I wake up praying and crying out to God for my children. Why? TVs, computers, tablets, smartphones, smartwatches, smart earbuds, dozens of daily news reports and shows, hundreds of daily blogs and articles, thousands of books and periodicals, millions of social media posts. We live in a consumeristic age of information where you can acquire virtually anything we want with the push of a button or the swipe of a finger. I mean, not all of that is bad. That's not what I'm saying in any way. Nonetheless, what do we find from this text? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Teens here, children here, you're living in a broken world where unholiness grabs you. Lay that aside. Battle that flesh through the Holy Spirit. Now we come to the grand finale of this entire text, this last phrase. Right? All of this, I believe, is leading to this one phrase. In fact, this is the entire book summarized. I believe the book of Hebrews can be pointed to, prior to and after, to this phrase. Chapter 12, verse 2, says this. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfect founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. So as we think about this theme today, advancing with endurance, amidst the tests of life we live in, advancing with endurance, taking another step in our spiritual lives, sometimes in our minds we think, you know what, if I flex strong enough, if I consume all the right calories, I can make it on this race. Well, I'm going to tell you, the flat fact is this, not a single one of us can run this race on our own power. You cannot manipulate this race. That is clearly why this phrase is in the text. The only way we can take another step in our spiritual lives is through this. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, this one phrase holding the weight of this passage in the entire book, I believe, means to do this. To fix your eyes on the target. To direct one's attention without distraction. I mean, I think about this in my times of hiking in the woods, hunting, and knowing how easy it is to get lost. And what do we we learn from the first day we go out and hike with our family, with our dads or moms? Okay, set a mark and remember where that mark is. And then as you work around, whether it's a, a knoll on a hill or a cliffside or wherever it is, as you hike, constantly orient yourself to this. That is what we're doing here. Fix your eyes on the consistent mark, the north star, the pole star, on Jesus Christ. He is the only way we can get through this race, is Jesus Christ. Like a racer racer who refused to get distracted by people and things and noises surrounding the track, but rather looks to the end, to the tape, to the end of the track, We are to never take our eyes off of 
Jesus. We are to fix our eyes on our Savior and never, ever, ever forget about our Savior through the struggles of the life we live at in our own homes, the arguments, the anger, frustration, and anxieties that come out in our own homes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, dads, moms, where are we to look? Jesus! Like the pilgrim, if you've never read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, I would encourage this. Almost every sermon I would encourage this. John Bunyan writes of this pilgrim who plugged his ears from the naysayers in his own family and he strained his eyes towards that light ahead and he moved forward. That is what we are to do. Now, quickly, I'm going to mention what the the author here says about Jesus, realizing we're going to unpack these over the next 30 weeks. We're going to talk about 15 weeks, sorry, three months. We're doubling the study already. All right, over the next three months, we're going to talk a lot about these phrases, so hold on. Be ready to learn more about these phrases. Here's what he says about Jesus, the founder and protector of our, uh, perfecter of our faith. When we look at this concept of founder, we're talking about the originator. We like to think of it in terms of this, the pioneer leader. He's the Lewis and Clark of the Americas. He's been there, he's done that. He's the leader we look to. The fact is, our faith starts with Jesus Christ. And when you come back next week, guess where we're going to go? We're going to go to the beginnings of your Bible in Genesis, and we're going to see Jesus in Genesis. He is the founder of our faith. It also says not only that he's the founder of our faith, he's the perfecter of our faith. This is the word completer of our faith. This is the captain who completes the mission, the one who gets it done. He's the hero that you read about in these books that gets the job done. The job that no one else could do, this is the guy to go to. That is Jesus Christ. The founder of our faith, the completer of our faith. Guess where we're going to end up our sermon next week? At the end of your Bibles. The book of Revelation, chapter 5. The lamb and the lion that everyone worships from all kindred, tribe, people, and nations. And then it says this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. As you endure, as we endure, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must keep our eyes on the one who also endured the cross. He is the hero who is not just watching. I love this. He is the hero who's not just watching you, but he experienced death for you, and he is walking with you. He is racing with you. That's the beauty of this whole text. You're looking to Jesus, but at the same time, he is with you. And it says this, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I will not do that justice in the next couple minutes, that phrase. But this Jesus is no lightweight. This Jesus is not some normal human being. This is the eternal God-man the captain who rose victorious from the dead and is seated at the place of honor and mediation for us right now, this Jesus. He is capable of getting us to the finish line. We will not get to the finish line on our own. He is the only one that is capable enough to carry us to the finish line. He is ready to return, and this is what I love. Looking at the scriptures with great anticipation because this Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God is anticipating 
and we are anticipating his return when all of this mess we live in right now will be set right. When Jesus puts all of this back together, children here today, Jesus is going to fix that mess you see on the TV. Jesus is going to fix the mess of these riots. Jesus is the only one that will set this right. Why look to Jesus? Well, very quickly as we close this out, He is the beginning and the ending of God's story. He is the ultimate example in God's story. And He is the supreme character of God's story. Over the next 15 weeks, we are going to highlight this supreme character in God's story. A brief pastoral challenge. Please do whatever you can to listen to every one of these portraits of Jesus Christ. I know some of you be traveling. Maybe listen to them after the fact. Because we are going to paint a picture by God's grace of the most beautiful Savior you could ever imagine. Our Jesus. So what? Let's close this out today with a, a question of application. So what? How is this passage that we read today, a, a very familiar text, how is that going to change your life this week? How is your life going to be any different because we navigated through Hebrews chapter 12 today, verses 1 and 2? Well, I would say we'd have to follow up with this simple question. Would you ask this self, yourself this question as I ask myself this question? Am I advancing today with endurance? Simple analogy. Are you stepping forward? Or have you found that complete, that comfortable little spot over here under the shade, watching people endure in their race, thinking, hey, go get them? Are you engaged in this race? The expectation of the scriptures is that you fully engage every single day of your life, proving that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. Through whatever you're going through right now, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, the question is this, will you endure this race in advancing to Jesus Christ? Through the unrest of the world we live in, through the fears of global pandemic, through the heartaches of social injustice debates, through the dismay about blatant disrespect for civil authorities, through the discouragement over unashamed disregard for the holiness of God, through depraved people doing ridiculous actions as we saw in Red Bluff yesterday? Will you advance in your journey towards Jesus Christ? One last question. As you're advancing, would you just pray with me today? Where, where are you looking? Where am I looking? Are my eyes fixed on a beautiful Savior or are my eyes fixed on the next blog post or social media post or newscast or news brief by a political guru, political leader? Where are my eyes fixed? Are they fixed on a beautiful Savior? Men, grandpas, Dads, husbands, this week, will you fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder of your faith? Moms, grandmas, wives, women, 
This week, will you fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter and the completer, the completer of your faith? Teens, here today, this week, will you fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who endured the race for you? Children, who've been so good through this long exposition today, This week, will you fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the one who one day will put it all back together. He will fix it all. Lastly, the best way we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, I'm going to tell you right now, is fixing your eyes on Jesus' word this week. Find Jesus in the holy text of Scripture this week. Seek and Savior, a beautiful Savior, through the words of the Scriptures, and you will find this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We're so thankful, Father, for this text today. We're privileged to interact with your word. Oh God, I pray. You know the burden on my heart for every single person sitting here today. God, I'm especially burdened for those children and teens in this room that are growing up in this broken world, this world wrought with depravity. I pray that they would look to Jesus pray for dads here today, for moms. I pray for grandmas and grandpas. I pray for young adults. I pray for those of us who have made mistakes in our lives. I pray for those of us who think we're okay. I pray that there would not be a single person here today that would leave this building ignoring the fact that we have to look to Jesus. I pray, God, right now for that person in this room debating whether Jesus is worth it. Oh God, I pray that this would be the day when they come to you by faith in a beautiful Savior. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, or however you want to enter in, just a brief moment of prayer this morning. I just prayed for a group of people that, that you may be one of them today. Maybe you've heard the Jesus talk before. You've read the Jesus words in the Bible before and you're starting to put pieces of the puzzle together in your own mind. But maybe you don't understand it all. Can I just try to simplify it right here, right now? With this, you are in desperate need of a rescuer. Jesus is that loving rescuer. God loves you. There's no mistake that you're here today, right here, right now, hearing the words of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Would you look to Jesus for salvation? Maybe you haven't even entered into the race yet because you're, you're st- you still have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Can I just say this? Would today be that day when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the rescuer? I'd be happy to talk to you more about this. If, if there's still questions in your mind, 
come and talk to me afterwards. Grab another uh, elder here, another person in the body here, and say, can you tell me more about this beautiful Savior? But I will tell you this, do not go through another day questioning whether this Jesus is worth it, because he is worth it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the scripture says. For those of you who have come to Jesus in faith, would you receive the exhortation of the scripture and that is to endure and to advance with endurance today? Would you pray that God would give you the grace this week to endure, to advance? Then would you pray this week you would not take your eyes off of Jesus, this beautiful Savior, to seek and Savior and think constantly of this Savior. So God, that is the prayer of our hearts today. I want to thank you for this time we had in your word. I pray that you continue to do a work of grace as we process this information today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to guide and to convict Thank you, thank you, thank you for the people here today, all of us that we joined today. Thank you for the young children that could be here. Bless now as we close out this song, as we remind ourselves that we are content with Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Thank you again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up as we close? With this anthem of praise, if you know this, sing it out. If not, meditate on the words. Let's sing out this, all I have is Christ.